0: What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pobliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. The NBA is in a very unique place right now. On one hand, the league is a juggernaut, generating $10 billion in annual revenue and roughly $3 billion in annual profit. They have superstars like LeBron James and Stephen Curry dominating on social media, and their international growth in places like China has been very impressive. Just look at the four biggest sports leagues in North America today. The NFL leads the way with $19 billion in annual revenue. The MLB and NBA are virtually tied in second with $10 billion in annual revenue. And the NHL is in a distant fourth at $5.7 billion in annual revenue. But on the other hand, viewership for the NBA is still well below the Michael Jordan years. Superstars have been sitting out 35% of regular season games on average due to load management over the years. And the league is reportedly having trouble selling its newest media rights package, ...for a reported $75 billion. So what does the future for the NBA look like? Should fans be concerned with regional sports networks going bankrupt? Will player salaries start to decline? What is going to happen to team valuations? Is the new midseason tournament actually a good idea? Well, the 2023-24 NBA season tips off Tuesday night. So today we'll look at the state of the league's business... ...including its negotiations for a new TV rights package... ...record-breaking franchise valuations the league's highest-paid superstars, and more. But I think the most logical place to start is with just an overview of the business of the NBA today. Like I just said, they bring in $10 billion in annual revenue with nearly $3 billion in annual profit. That makes the world's biggest basketball league, the NBA, also one of the world's most profitable sports leagues. You guys already know that the NFL is the most profitable at $19 billion in annual revenue each year. The NBA, again, has ten. billion. But that's more than the Premier League at $7 billion. That's more than La Liga at $5.4 billion. That's more than Serie A at $2.6 billion. And it's significantly more than Formula One at $2.5 billion. Roughly 25%, or a quarter of this revenue, comes from the league's nine-year $24 billion television rights deal with ESPN and TNT. For those that don't want to do public math, that's $2.6 billion per year that the NBA is getting paid by those two partners alone, ESPN and TNT, to broadcast their games. The NBA also makes a lot of money on sponsorships. The NBA brought in $1.66 billion in sponsorship revenue last season. That was just a slight increase, 1.3% increase year over year from $1.6 billion. But $1.6 billion in total sponsorship revenue is obviously a lot of money. And the rest of the $10 billion in annual revenue comes from things like merchandise, tickets, and more. So if I had to summarize just what we'll call like the six or seven biggest line items for the NBA... It's ticket sales. Obviously, the NBA sold a record 22.2 million tickets last year. So 22.2 million people attended games last year for the NBA. That was an all-time record. Broadcast rights is obviously the biggest bucket. Like I just said, a quarter of the revenue annually comes from the NBA's $24 billion deal with ESPN and TNT. Sponsorships, again, I just told you $1.66 billion in sponsorship revenue. But the NBA's biggest deal is with Nike. They do the uniforms and everything else. That licensing deal and that merchandise deal is an eight-year, $1 billion contract with Nike. Merchandise sales is another thing. Obviously, the jerseys sell a lot for fans. The NBA players get 43% essentially of jersey sale revenue. That gets put into a thing called basketball-related income, which we'll go over shortly. Concessions at the games is another big thing. The average price for a hot dog at an NBA arena today is $6.10. Obviously, that has increased over the years, but it's still cheaper than you would find at an NFL venue. Another big item is digital properties. So the NBA owns and operates things like NBA League Pass, NBA.com, and other things on the online platform like that. Another big line item that often doesn't get talked about is video games. The NBA has a seven-year $1.1 billion deal with NBA 2K, which is actually more than the NBA's deal with Nike, right? So I just told you, Nike's deal is eight years, $1 billion. The NBA's deal with NBA 2K to do the video game is seven years, $1.1 So the video game side of things is tremendously big for the NBA from a pure revenue perspective. And the expansion of this NBA revenue stream, the streams that they've been able to build up over the last decade, has had a material impact on team valuations. The average NBA team, according to Forbes, is now worth $2.86 billion. That's a 15% increase from 2022. And I don't want to go through all 30 of the NBA teams because there's probably a lot in here that the average listener doesn't care about. But I'll give you the top five and the, and the bottom five. Number one most valuable in the NBA, according to Forbes, is the Golden State Warriors at $7 billion. Number two is the New York Knicks, who we know you don't have to win in the NBA to have a valuable team with everything that's going on with the real estate with MSG, but also the TV rights with the NBA. They're valued second at $6.1 billion. Number three is the Los Angeles Lakers at $5.9 billion. Number four is the Chicago Bulls, $4.1 billion. Number five is the Boston Celtics at $4 billion. So again, top to bottom, one through five, seven billion to four billion. Warriors, Knicks, Lakers, Bulls, Celtics. Obviously, they're all big market teams in big cities. The bottom five, though, are a little bit different. We have the Indiana Pacers at 26 at 1.8 billion, the Charlotte Hornets at 1.7 billion, which we'll get to in a second. The Minnesota Timberwolves are the 28th most valuable team at 1.67 billion. The Memphis Grizzlies are number 29 at 1.65 billion. The New Orleans Pelicans are $1.6 billion, the lowest-ranked, lowest-valued team in the league. Now, these valuations are a little bit off because they were valued by Forbes last year, and they don't include the recent surge in sales that we've seen. Matt Espia bought the Phoenix Suns for $4 billion, for example. Michael Jordan just sold the Charlotte Hornets for $3 billion when Forbes had them valued at $1.7 billion. And Jimmy Haslam, who also owns the NFL's Cleveland Browns, purchased 25% of the Milwaukee Bucks at a valuation of $3.2 billion. So again, these valuations have gone up a lot over the last few years. Forbes is off by roughly like 50 to 60% given the recent sales. There's obviously a reason for this. I've talked about this in the past of how Forbes valuations and Sportico or whoever you want to use are generally pretty correct. I tell this story all the time of Ryan Smith when he bought the Utah Jazz. He found out the team might up eventually be up for sale. And they asked him, what would he be willing to offer? He literally Googled the forest valuation on his phone. He turned the phone around and said, that seems like a fair deal. What about that? Right? Like if someone else is going to go do the homework for you, maybe it's off a little bit here or there, but they're generally correct. The movement that we've seen over the last couple of years is because people think that the NBA is going to grow a lot financially in the coming years. That's for a variety of factors, which we can go over, but essentially it's international growth. They're trying to do exactly what they did in China, in places like Africa and India, They obviously have a new media rights agreement that's going to be coming up here in the next year that people believe could be tripled. They have some plus or some minuses we'll talk about on the RSN side. But overall, people think the valuations are going to go up. There's only 30 teams in the NBA. If there are future expansion teams, those teams are going to pay multiple billions of dollars to get into the league. All the other owners will profit from that as well. So we've seen these valuations go up over the last several decades And I think we're at a point now where people just believe you're never going to lose money on these assets because there's a fixed supply of them and the demand keeps going higher and higher. They're the last thing keeping television bundles alive today. And it's one of the reasons why people like Matt Ishbia or the people that bought the Hornets or Jimmy Haslam or whoever are willing to pay significantly higher than the teams might be valued today on a pure cash flow basis. That also brings me to another point here, right? Which is one of the, the negatives for the league. And don't get me wrong. There are so many positives for the NBA. I often say that if I had to buy stock at one professional sports league solely based on the goal of capital appreciation over the next decade, it would probably be the NBA for me. That's because they have globally recognized superstars. These guys don't wear helmets. If LeBron goes to China, if Stephen Curry goes to China, if they travel around the world, people know who they are over people like, Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes or Odell Beckham or other people like that, right? So that's one thing that I think is really positive for the NBA. Like I said, they're also deploying the same global playbook that made China a multi-billion dollar market in places like Africa and India, two of the world's most populous areas today. And I think Commissioner Adam Silver, by and large, understands the media landscape better than virtually anyone else in sports today. There's actually a funny story that I also like to tell about Adam Silver, which I think is interesting. And it has a a point of view on the discussion that we're about to have, which is when YouTube started becoming popular in like the mid 2000s, all the sports leagues and some of the teams too went out and they tried to sue YouTube for copyright infringement, right? They said, you guys shouldn't be putting these videos on your website. You're not paying us for them. And this content is ours. Our marks are ours. and You have to go pay us. But when the NBA lawyer suggested this to the NBA commissioner at the time, and also the deputy NBA commissioner who was Adam Silver, Adam Silver specifically and ultimately said, don't sue them. I do not want to go sue YouTube. This is going to become a huge part of our business in the future. This is where the new younger generation of fans is consuming content. And we need to be on that platform if we want to be part of their experience in sports. And that may seem obvious today. Obviously, YouTube is massive. They got purchased by Google. It is one of the most popular, if not the most popular video platform in the world. But ultimately, to understand that as a deputy commissioner at the time when this was all new, social media really didn't exist in the early 2000s, to have that foresight and understanding that this is going to be a big spot for the youth to engage with different sports leagues and to say, no, we're not going to go on the offensive. We're going to allow them to use our content on their platform without these big copyright cases or infringement ideas or whatever it is. I thought that was incredibly intelligent, and it speaks to the fact of how he eventually became commissioner and how he's doing really well for the business side and the media side of the NBA today. But with all of that said, that doesn't mean that there aren't any negatives. Let's talk about media rights specifically. Not only are regional sports networks across the country missing seven-figure payments and ultimately going to be filing for bankruptcy, but recent reports have come out from multiple news sites across the sports media landscape suggesting that the NBA isn't getting nearly as much interest in a $75 billion media rights package. Now, that $75 billion media rights package would be three times the current price that the NBA gets today. And that's kind of like almost been like baked in for the last several years that everyone just assumed the NBA would get $75 billion. That's the number they floated around. That's the number that other sports media sites have floated around. Other insiders across the NBA have floated around as being the price. Now, there's a couple of factors into this. Local media rights dropping, like I said, and national media rights not going up as much as predicted. When you combine those two factors, that could potentially limit growth for the NBA in the short term. That would have a downstream impact ultimately on things like team valuations, player salaries, and more. But it's not like these things would drop in value. They just wouldn't go up as high and as fast as they have been. But we'll come back to this in a second. One of the other things I want to talk about today is player salaries, because the NBA It is no secret that players in the NBA make a lot of money. LeBron James leads the way this year. Sportico just came out with their highest paid basketball players. He is going to be earning a reported $127.6 million this year. That's nearly 25, over $25 million more than number two on the list, which is Stephen Curry. LeBron is also the only person on the entire list to earn more off the court than on it. He's going to be earning $47.6 million in salary this year but $80 million in endorsement income off the court. Everyone else on the top 15 list, Stephen Curry, like I said, Giannis, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Dame, Joel Embiid, James Harden, Jokic, Paul George, Bradley Beal, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, Luka Doncic, and Zion. All of them are earning north of $50 million this year when you combine their salary and their endorsements. So the top 15 players in the NBA are somewhere between $50 million and $127 million, which is obviously a lot of money. NBA players also earn more on average than every other U.S. professional sports league. The NBA average salary is $8.3 million. The average salary in the MLB is $4 million. The average salary in the NFL is $3.2 million. And the average salary in the NHL is $2.6 million. Now, the reason why NBA players earn on average more money than every other U.S. professional sports league is primarily due to two things. Number one, the number of players. They have less players. The rosters are smaller than some of these other leagues. And number two, the CBA. The CBA to me is particularly interesting because it was actually just extended this past year. Now, the easiest way that I like to explain the CBA without going into all the nuance and the details of it, these are big legal documents, right? These are negotiated over decades at this point and they built upon each other. But the easiest way possible to explain the CBA is that there's this thing called basketball-related income. It's often referred to as BRI. You've maybe heard of that. It contains things like media rights, ticket sales, merchandise, things like that. All of the money that is generated from those categories, the things that are deemed basketball related income, is then put into a bucket, right? So take the media rights, throw that in the bucket. Take the ticket sales, throw that in the bucket. Take jersey sales, throw that in the bucket. Take sponsorships, throw that in the bucket. That money that is then in that bucket is split 50-50 with 50% or roughly 50% of the money going toward player salaries and the other 50% going back to the owners. Now, this is important because the NBA Players Association in their negotiations this past year was able to secure a few different things. The one that made the biggest headline was that NBA players can now invest in NBA franchises. This was a little bit misleading because they framed it as NBA players can receive equity in teams. And the reality is that LeBron James cannot receive equity from the Houston Rockets to go play there next year. That's just not a possibility. The NBA isn't going to allow it. There's a lot of problems that could arise from that for the biggest superstars in the league. But what they have said is that everyone else is participating in the growth of these franchises. The owners obviously have participated for a long period of time. The commissioner, everyone in and around the league. And don't get me wrong, the players have participated for sure, but they do not own equity in the teams. And if you're the NBA, you're now going to allow private equity funds, sovereign wealth funds, endowments. I mean, Qatar just bought into the parent company of the Washington Wizards. So if all these outsiders, if Harvard University can own equity in an NBA franchise and participate in the upside, why can't the player, right? So that was one of the things that the NBA Players Association got across the line. The NBA players cannot buy directly into a team. They cannot receive the equity for free. They have to pay a market rate. And it's done through a fund that is being opened up through the Players Association. So essentially what can happen is the players can invest in the fund. That fund will buy stakes in individual teams. They will participate in the upside that way. This could be done through other avenues, too. Obviously, there's private equity funds that are now doing this, too. The NBA players could have invested in that. It's just kind of like a different backwards way to give the NBA Players Association a win. Now, don't get me wrong. There were a couple of other things that went across the line that were helpful. They increased veteran extensions. So contract extensions for veterans can now be up to 140% of a player's previous salary. That used to be 120% in the prior CBA, so veterans are going to be earning a little bit more money. And then one of the other things, too, is that licensing revenue has now been added to basketball-related income, BRI, what we just talked about. So any revenue that the NBA now earns in licensing revenue, they will be putting that into the bucket that we just talked about, and the players will be getting 50% of that going forward. But one of the other things, and the last thing that I want to talk about today, because I believe it's the most important thing, is the midseason tournament. And I think the midseason tournament has a bunch of different parts to it. Obviously, this is going to be good from a viewership perspective. The NBA is launched in the Sydney's tournament. For those of you that don't know, all 30 teams are going to be competing in this. The easiest way to think about this is that it is a European soccer-style tournament in the middle of the year. So teams across, obviously, the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, whatever, they compete in these different tournaments throughout the year, aside from their, what you would call in the NBA, just the league play. The NBA is now going to be adopting this structure for a tournament during the season, in-season. It begins on November 30th, or November 3rd, sorry. All 30 teams will be participating. The tournament will be held in Las Vegas, the finals and the the semifinals and the finals. And the players, on an important note, are going to be taking home cash prizes. So if you're the NBA, how are you going to convince players to take this seriously, not sit out games, and really care about this? One of the ways that they're trying to do it is that every player that makes it out of the group stage is going to be earning at least $50,000 in cash. If you lose in the quarterfinals, that's when you'll make your 50K. You made it out of the group stage, but you lose in the quarterfinals. If you lose in the semifinals, you'll make $100,000. If you get second place in the tournament, each player is going to walk away with $200,000. And if you win the championship, each player, every single player on the winning team is going to receive $500,000. Now, look, I don't want to make this seem like that's going to ultimately be the reason why players try. There's 50 players in the NBA that are making over $30 million annually. So a $50,000 to $500,000 check isn't nearly as enticing when you get paid that every two weeks anyways, right? So that's part of it. I do think it helps. But at the end of the day, these games count towards the regular season. So they're not adding more games to the calendar, which I think was important. And it's going to be good for viewers because you're just making the regular season a little bit more exciting. And this is a problem that the NBA has dealt with for a long period of time. If you really think about the NBA, it's a long season. It is an absolute grind. You play from October to April. Each team plays 82 games. Players take 50 to 100 flights per year, depending on their schedule. And teams are flying 40,000 miles during the season while playing three games per week. It's an absolute grind. And it's one of the reasons why we've seen load management or rest or shortness or whatever you want to talk about pop up over the last few years. Players like LeBron, KD, Curry, Kawhi, Kyrie Irving, all these guys are missing 10 to 15 to 20% of the games on a given year because of load management. This obviously sucks for people that are paying to go to the games, but it has also slowly eroded away at the importance of the NBA regular season. Now, the playoffs, again, for every sports league average more viewers, but in the NBA, the playoffs average 244% more viewers than your average regular season game. The average regular season game across the NBA, we're talking about on cable television, on ESPN, on TNT averages 1.59 million viewers. The playoffs, the average game in the playoffs, averages 5.47 million viewers. If you want to talk about the NBA Finals, you're getting up close to 10 million, maybe a little bit more depending on the game. So the regular season has become significantly less important over the years. And what this does is that it allows the NBA to make the regular season a little bit more important during the middle of the season rather than at the end or at the very beginning. But more importantly... This gives the NBA another valuable asset in media negotiations. The way that I typically explain this to other people is that if you look at the NFL, they have done a better job than anyone, than any sports league in the world. I don't care who. They've done a better job than anyone with their media rights. The reason for this is not only because they get paid the most, they're making $10 billion a year on their media rights. So that's obviously huge. The NBA is reportedly trying to get a little bit over $8 billion a year. Many people think they might get close to 5 or $6 billion, but still, that would be huge. It would be second biggest to the NFL. But more importantly, what the NFL has done really well is they've spread these games across a variety of different partners. Now, as a fan, this isn't necessarily something that you love because me, right? I watch sports all the time. I love the NBA. I love the NFL. I watch hockey. I watch baseball. I watch soccer. I watch all these leagues. I have basically every streaming service you could possibly imagine. I spend hundreds of dollars every single month on streaming services. Between YouTube TV, I also used to have cable, but now I just have YouTube TV. I have the NBA League Pass. I have MLS with Apple TV. I have Peacock. I have all these different things. I have Amazon for Thursday night football. You have to buy all of these because the NBA or the NFL, more than any other league, has spread their games, right? If you're the NFL, you obviously have to have cable or YouTube TV to get access to Fox, to CBS, to ESPN for Monday Night Football, you got to have Red Zone, you have to buy Sunday ticket to watch your team out of market games, you have to have Peacock, there's a playoff game on Peacock later this year and a regular season game, you have to have Amazon for Thursday Night Football. And the way that they've been able to do this by spreading it across different networks, even with Fox and CBS and all these other people, is they've drastically expanded the amount of money that they're able to get. So the $10 billion is split across a variety of different partners. Now, the NBA has historically not done as good of a job. They've had these deals with ESPN and TNT in place for several years now where they're making a good bit of money. They're making several billion dollars per year. But on their next meteorites deal, what I think they're going to do and what the reports have indicated, there was a Wall Street Journal report for anyone who hasn't seen it this past week that came out that confirmed a lot of what I've been talking about on this podcast for the last six or seven months now which is the idea that the NBA is not going to get nearly as lucrative an offer from ESPN and TNT. They're not going to come out and just say, yeah, we're going to double our rights, keep the same package, all good. The NBA grew. That's absolutely not what is going to happen. My guess is, and what I've said on this podcast, is that their rights fees are going to increase a little bit. They're not going to triple, but they're not going to just stay the same. They're going to increase a little bit. But what the NBA is going to do is the NBA is going to go out and they're going to broker deals with potentially Amazon. Maybe Apple TV. Hell, they may even do a deal with Netflix or Peacock or someone like that too. But they're going to expand the partners that they do it with because not only do they want more money, but they want to be able to reach their fans, right? If you just think about ESPN and TNT, those games, not every fan is able to see if you don't have cable or YouTube TV or something else like that. So if you want to be able to reach more people, you want different partners. Now, obviously, the tech companies like Amazon and Apple, the sports leagues are interested in them because they're able to pay more money. But the NBA's media deal is pretty standard right now. Like I said, $2.6 billion a year, Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery. I think they're going to be doing this a little bit differently, and I think the NFL is the best example of this. By splitting up the inventory into different packages, it reduces the risk also associated with cable TV. So I think that's another big part of this. And it's one of the reasons why the NBA is taking a little bit longer to agree to a deal than we might have seen. Obviously, one big piece of this is the RSN. I've done a podcast, I've done a newsletter, and I've tweeted about the RSN debacle with sports over the past year. But the easiest way, again, to think about this stuff is that that business model has completely crumbled. All these businesses aren't making money anymore. There's the biggest company, which is Diamond Sports. They have not paid the NBA for a bunch of their rights over the last few months. They owe them millions of dollars. And if they file for bankruptcy, Chapter 7 liquidation, they will have to give these rights back to the NBA in 15 different markets. Now, the NBA has already said that they are going to be putting on these broadcasts themselves. They would broadcast them through the NBA app or a local TV deal that we've seen with over-the-air broadcasts for teams like the Phoenix Suns and Utah Jazz. But they would put on the broadcast. They would figure it out. They would say, we don't have Diamond Sports anymore. We'll go do this ourselves. But what I do think is going to happen and what Wall Street Journal confirmed in their report last week was the idea that they are negotiating and potentially going to include some of these local rights in their packages with streamers, which is something that both the league and streamers want, according to Wall Street Journal. This is the quote. Amazon and others have indicated they would find it even more appealing if the NBA could package national TV rights with local market rights. So they can show people in Indiana the games of the hometown Pacers, for example, and in the same in other cities around the country, according to people familiar with the discussions. So I do think that's going to be something that has worked out over time. The NBA doesn't want to be in the business of broadcasting these games themselves, putting on the production, paying for all of that, and putting up on the NBA app. They're better off if they leave that to Apple or Amazon or Peacock or potentially Netflix or someone else like that, one of the streamers, if it's not ESPN or TNT or someone else like that. So if I had to summarize the NBA today, I know that it's just starting this week. I gave you guys a lot of information today, but the NBA is in a really healthy spot. Team valuations continue to increase. Player salaries keep going higher. Revenue keeps going higher. Companies want to sponsor the NBA. They want to be involved with the brand. It's seen as this like digital first Gen Z type of sports business. So I think that's really important. I think one of the biggest things to watch over the next decade with the NBA is what they do in Africa and in India. Like I just said, there are billions of people in these continents and countries, and they've done a really good job the NBA has in China over the last decade. It's become a huge business. I think it's a $5 billion business now for the NBA. And similar things can happen, albeit probably on a little bit smaller of a scale. In Africa, and India, they're going to run the exact same playbook that they ran in China. So I would keep an eye out for that. As long as the RSN problem gets solved and the local media rights at least get somewhere near where NBA teams were getting them. I think that is going to be a catalyst for valuations to continue to rise because if the NBA is able to double, which I think they will, I think they will double media rights over this next negotiating cycle. If they're able to do that and all the other revenue keeps climbing, there's no reason why franchise valuations can't double over the next decade. This is what we saw when they did their last media rights deal a decade ago. It's what we're going to see this time too. The NBA is in a really healthy spot. You do not need to worry about the future of the game from a sports business perspective. Although that does not mean that there won't be some headwinds in the near future when it comes to local media rights and stuff like that. That's it for today. I hope everyone enjoys the game starting this Tuesday. The NBA is a terrific product and a lot of teams have gotten better. I'm excited to see the Eastern and the Western Conference, to be honest. I mean, if you look what happened with Milwaukee, they got better. The Celtics got better. But also you have the Nuggets coming back that just feel like they've gotten disrespected. The NBA put out a poster. For the opening night games, they didn't even put anyone from the Nuggets on it, even though they're playing the Lakers on opening night. They didn't have Jokic on it. They had Jason Tatum, who is not even playing on opening night, but that's neither here nor there. I think the Nuggets are going to be really good again. I think the Lakers were really good at the end of last season. I think they got a little bit better. The Warriors obviously added Chris Paul, and I think they're going to be up there too. The Suns added Bradley Beal. You're not going to want to play the Grizzlies either. There's a bunch of really good teams. I'm really excited for the season. I hope it goes really well. I hope the NBA does well. And it's something to keep an eye on. I will keep you guys updated on the business things that happen throughout the season. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do me a favor. Just leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or wherever listening to it. Let me know what you're enjoying so far, what I could be doing a little bit better. As always, though, thank you. Have a great week. And we'll talk on Wednesday.